what else in this movie makes sense? Why does like the type of pot they're smoking have to make sense as well? <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And this month, for February, I guess to celebrate Valentine's Day in a way, we've been talking <laughs> about erotic thrillers for the most part. So, Thomas, what all have we discussed this month regarding the erotic thriller? Well, not just this month, but kind of in the past of the podcast as a whole, we've covered the idea of erotic thrillers being a branch off of neo-noirs, being this idea that a lot of the themes that were introduced in film noir, you know, the film fatale, the idea of kind of like the innocent man being led astray or being led away from his morals by by sex. It wasn't necessarily like said out loud during film noir, but that's mm-hmm. often what it was that was doing it and kind of the dangers of sex and the idea that, that ultimately this kind of like dirty sex can lead to violence and death and crime and, and ruin and all this kind of stuff. Um, which was all there in film noir. But as we've always talked about on the podcast with the Hayes Code, you couldn't show it. And so in the 80s, you started to have some people like De Palma with Body Double who wanted to go back to like Hitchcock and kind of revisit Hitchcock movies with with the sex put into it. You've got uh, people like Lawrence Kasdan who wanted to make Body Heat, which was like double but indemnity style movie but with the sex and so that kind of opened the doors into this subgenre that was just like hey it's the 80s we can put a lot of nudity and sex into these crime movies and it's almost like it's almost like selling porn in the movie theaters and people will go <laughs> see it and it got a little out of hand uh, towards the end of the 80s the early 90s and um this week we're going to talk about one that kind of came after that so yeah we've covered the beginning um in the first week of the month, we covered Body Double, which was one of the earlier ones to establish a subgenre. And then today, we'll talk about one that kind of capped it off at the end. But, you know, they're still around. It's still happening. Yeah. yeah it's a genre that, as we said earlier, like it burned bright very fast and then was was out. And you kind of it kind of became like, it's like, not say schlocky, but it became like the, the video store, like mm-hmm. movie title, the direct-to-video, where it's like, oh, pairing this part or these two kind of actors or this actor in this kind of erotic thriller. Yeah. And cause I watched a few movies too. Cause I'd never seen basic instinct until last week. Just to, cause that's like, I, we always kind of look at it as like fail attraction is like the beginning of the peak. And then five years later, basic instincts, the end of the peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And I think with this movie today and body double in a way, but this makes silly. It feels almost like a, deconstruction of an erotic thriller yes, it's a strip it's a strip it's a stripped down version of an erotic thriller and that and today's movie is eyes wide shut directed by stanley kubrick and it it yeah it it has all those kind of elements of it but it it, it just it's like it's just a stripped down like bare bones version of what an erotic thriller is like is there's not a lot of thrills but there's a lot of danger it feels like yeah well and after after last month it's it I, I wouldn't call this film necessarily a parody, but I think there yeah. is, we'll see that there are some aspects to it that is actually kind of parodying the erotic thriller. Yeah. Uh, because it does kind of thrive on setting itself up to seem like an erotic thriller and then thwarting your expectations of the genre. So definitely an interesting one for us to to dive into, but, but yeah, so 
it'll it, we'll see some things here that are tropes of the genre definitely the femme mm-hmm. fatale the idea there's usually some kind of like secret conspiracy a lot mm-hmm. of that dates back to fritz lang and hitchcock both yeah. kind of had this idea of like the innocent man who's thrown into this this darker world and there's often you know whether it's organized crime or some kind of secret society or even the government doing some shady stuff uh they they were the ones their movies kind of brought that subplot into the noir type of films and then that that is then in turn come into these films so yeah a lot of times you have this kind of like everyman character who is tempted by sex into this some sort of dangerous situation yeah underworld yeah 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 it's kind of underbelly or whatever and and yeah and then all these iraq dogs have this kind of illicit type sexual i guess uh expression or 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 activities occurring if it be Mm -hmm. a affair and this is going in a whole different way of what happens behind closed doors specifically in like in it's like secret society um of 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 the upper class is the thing um so yeah i think that this will be an interesting film to discuss um yeah so, so who all's involved in this movie thomas so yeah like you said eyes wide shut directed by stanley kubrick in 1999 it was the uh last film that kubrick would work on it was uh completed and released after his death it's starring uh tom cruise nicole kidman including a supporting cast sydney pollock uh, Todd Field, probably best known these days as a director. Uh, Vanessa Shaw, probably best known to most people as uh, being from Hocus Pocus. Hocus, yeah. uh, Alan Cumming, definitely better known at this point than he was then. Uh, uh, Rage Serbegia and Lily Sobieski. So the plot of Eyes Wide Shut, a very quick summary, although one that is definitely not going to summarize the film very well, <laughs> is that uh, after learning of his wife's past sexual fantasies about other men, Dr. Bill Horford <laughs> spends a few sexually charged nights roaming New York, eventually crossing paths with a mysterious secret society. So, Brandon, what's your what's your past with Eyes Wide Shut? So before this film, the only time I had seen it before was actually when we, we had to watch it for class. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, that was the first time I saw it. Um, and... Uh, it's one that has stuck with it was it was like one of the Kubrick ones that I just didn't hadn't gotten around to, and uh, I was kind of I, I, a little bit of thing. I, I didn't watch the movie in class when we were supposed to. I wasn't there that day, but I heard so I mm. heard his like speech about it afterwards uh, and kind of the analysis of it. And I almost wondered I would if I would liked it less. Uh, if I didn't hear his like analysis, it's almost like his analysis mm. helped me understand it when watching it the first time. Because I was like, "What is he talking about? This dreamlike quality, whatever." Mm-hmm. And then when I watched, I was like, "Oh yeah." And I was like, "I wonder if I didn't know this beforehand, would I just be so kind of like frustrated with the movie?" Yeah. Which makes me wonder how like what the audience was like when it came out in, in 1999. I mean that 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 is literally my my experience with it. So yeah. I can I can attest to that. <laughs> So like so I liked it the first time because of because of that discussion and like there were I don't say there were spoilers in way because he was so talking about kind of the themes interpretation of it and I hadn't seen it so I had no clue what he was talking about uh, and the pieces kind of all fit together once I watched it and I really liked it and I it's always been kind of the the stepchild of Kubrick films in the way I, mm-hmm. I think people think it's like it's rarely is that the favorite Kubrick film of people's I think. Um, 
And there's always, I know there's always the rumors of like, oh, well, he didn't finish it. He would have changed stuff. Um, and I know we'll probably get into that later. But yeah, I think it's this time coming back to it because I hadn't watched it since that time in class. And I think I've, my view of it has changed to even more for the better too. I think I've, I've, I understand even more now. I think of what I don't want to say. I, I understand what Kubrick's trying to do, but <laughs> I because I, I, I don't want to put myself on that pedestal. But I do think there is a lot in here that's easy to decipher if you're paying attention. Like this time when I watched yeah. it, I was kind of it, it really is like uh, it's a dream as we're going to keep kind of saying, and it's hard to turn away from even in a movie that's it's over two and a half hours. There's mm-hmm. something kind of uh hypnotic about the film is yeah. the thing and so so yeah so what's your history with it yeah so i i kind of fit in with with the the zeitgeist the first time i saw this because i i watched it in college and and there is this we'll talk about it uh when we get to the critical reception of this film but there is this kind of pervading disappointment with this movie because it was kubrick's last film and it was built up by the marketing campaign as like his magnum opus and so when it came out, a lot of critics were just like, this isn't Kubrick's best work. And just like immediate, <laughs> like thumbs down, we're over it. And and that's how I viewed it the first time I, I went to watch it. I was like, all right, this is the last Co- movie Kubrick ever made it. You know, there's all these like urban legends that the movie itself killed him and like mm-hmm. all this, all this stuff attached to it. And I watched it and I was just like, what is that? And so <laughs> when we were going to watch it in class in film uh-huh. school i was like ah, i don't even know if i'm gonna come that day like i i didn't like eyes wide shut yeah. and our friend freddie was like you don't like eyes wide shut that movie's yeah. hilarious <laughs> and i was like what do you mean hilarious and he's like it's a comedy and i was like eyes wide shut is a comedy and mm-hmm. then i just sat with him in that class and watched yeah. it as a comedy and i was like oh my god i love this movie <laughs> And we'll, I mean, we'll discuss, but that, that is, that was Kubrick's intentions. And, um, I think it, it might be, yeah, don't worry. I'm a doctor. Yeah. It, it might be like the most widely misunderstood movie of all time. I think, especially by like very well-respected critics. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's something we'll all get into, but I do, I love this movie and it, it, to me, it's like a perfect companion piece to another movie we've discussed on the podcast, which is after hours yep um uh, mm-hmm. to me after hours is like is like a is like a cocaine nightmare yep. of new york whereas ice white shut is like i don't know it's like uh Wait, it's like, what, what's i don't our even other know dr- what what's our I other drug drug. comparison <laughs> I don't even, uh absinthe it's like yeah. an absinthe like floating it's still kind of nightmarish but it's, yeah. it's a completely different energy but it still does have that kind of like you know he's just kind of, whereas after hours he's like constantly just crashing into other people's lives and and experiencing a moment of their lives and then just like sprinting into the next one and this is like dr bill is just like floating in and out of all these people's lives um but the way that the way that he kind of comes in and then leaves and then comes back and we see how their stories have played out like since he left reminds me a lot of after hours and i think they i think they make like a really nice companion piece with each other of like why did not go outside at night in new york city (laughs) No, yeah, I agree. It's there is this like like said floating nature where like it's, I know we talked about in class of how like in dream he said basically I remember our professor talking about how like in dreams like you're kind of like constantly like almost like introducing yourself in a way of like to make sure like you know who you, like you know who you are in the dream of some case and like you're kind of coming in, 
I won't say not always in the middle of scenes, but like stuff's happen off camera mm. that the main character is not privy to until the scene like continues or whatever. It's like, I mean, it's, it's the, uh, with Vanessa Shaw's character, the first time you see her. And then the next day it's like this whole new piece of revelations happened and mm -hmm. she's not even there. Um, or even with the store clerk, similar thing where it's yeah. like, you have one thing in this, in this, in this, the night thing. And then the day scene is like almost the exact opposite of like a vibe and attitude. Um, so it's like, you never know what kind of world you're in. And pretty much by the end of it, I mean, it's, it's, the dream nature is pretty much confirmed by Kidman's character of like mm -hmm. what this movie is trying to do. So everything I think Kubrick is trying to do in this film, he succeeds at. And, and so, yeah, I just say, as we will continue to talk about it, it's like, I feel like critics just like missed it completely for the most part. I think you have some people you sent me that I think kind of caught it and the caught it at the, like what it was actually trying to do. But I do think, it's it's a it's a it's an easy film to misunderstand, especially if you're mm -hmm. putting it in comparison to other Kubrick films. But weirdly, this time when I watched it, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is totally the guy that made The Shining," because yeah. so, it's the the vibe is very similar. Like, but also the, like the guy who made Doctor Strange Love, you know? Yeah. It's just like yeah. it's all there. Because <laughs> what I find fascinating about Kubrick is like he is is weirdly a genre director. Like, but everyone kind of puts him as like this high art, like genius. And not saying you can't be genius to do like genre pictures, but like he takes his own. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're a genre podcast, so let's yeah, not yeah, yeah. let's not no, draw no. that one. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like when you look at like the geniuses of cinema, you they, don't. Yeah, they use, can they can move throughout genres and yeah. Yeah, and you, and you, but you don't you see them as genre genre like you're not seeing, like always do a horror movie or whatever, doing like a a heist movie. But when you look at Kubrick, you're looking at him doing his take of a genre if you look at the killing it's a heist movie if you look at uh the shining it's a haunted house movie if you look at full metal jacket it's a war film if you look at this movie it's an erotic thriller but it's always just something about that's uniquely him mm. and it's they're all films that feel different but again it's the idea of the auteur theories like they all feel different but you can feel that kind of perspective that uh lingers over all of them is the thing yeah for sure so thomas i know this movie has a very historic uh there's a, there's a lot of information out there we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try and make this episode shorter than the movie itself but it'll yeah. definitely be shorter than the production of this movie that's yes, for sure that's for sure uh yeah so how it got made the film is an adaptation of arthur schnitzler's 1926 novella trom novel which translates to dream story uh kubrick read the book in 1968 and purchased the rights to the book, intending it to be his follow-up to 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> For all of the 1970s, Kubrick was constantly considering Dream Story as his next project. You can go back and find variety articles that are like, next up, Kubrick's doing Trom Novel. And he always, intend always intended it to be, take note, a sex comedy with a wild yeah. and somber streak running through it. And his two initial ideas for the star were uh woody allen or steve martin so mm -hmm. i should give you a better idea of of what yeah. his intentions were with this film uh finally in 1994 kubrick hired frederick Raphael to take a stab at adapting the novella kubrick and Raphael spent over a year collaborating on how to adapt and update the story because they wanted it to be a modern film instead of being set in austria where the mm -hmm. novel was 
1996, Warner Brothers backed the project for Kubrick, giving him carte blanche, whatever, however long he wanted to go, whatever he wanted to spend on it, mm-hmm. except for one request they made. They said, please cast a movie star. You haven't done that since Nicholson and The Shining. <laughs> and he said, OK, all right. He was especially fascinated with the idea of casting a real life couple. So mm-hmm. he headed into development of the film with a real life Hollywood couple in mind. He was going to make this movie with who was it? What what is it still in the nineties? Is what we're talking yep. about? Ninety six. Is it is it Baldwin and Alec Baldwin and Kim okay. Basinger? Okay. Yep. But while he was developing the film, uh, Tom Cruise was in England where Kubrick lived with Nicole Kidman while she shot the portrait of a lady. And he accepted an invite to meet Kubrick at his estate. One day they spent the day at the estate. He brought Kim in with him. And by the end of the day, Kubrick offered them the roles instead. Um, His condition was that they sign a contract to stay on the movie as long as it took to be complete (laughs) with no limit on shoot days. They agreed, although that might be something that they came to regret. (laughs) And on that on that cliffhanger, we'll move into uh, favorite scenes. Oh wow, that's okay. That's quick. Yeah, I know. I mean, I will say this. I know, and I think you might have it. If not, we'll discuss it. Like that, literally sent like shockwaves to the industry. Like of what yeah. eventually happens. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about the. I, I don't I don't know that any other like art quote unquote art film <laughs> has ever created such a like pop culture fervor yeah. in in the yeah. American eye. Um. So favorite scenes. I, I think right out of the gate. I mean, I, I I like the the opening, the I mean, setting the tone of the social ball. But I think in terms of scenes, I do like the argument, like the kind of argument between Cruz and Kidman in their mm-hmm. bedroom when she reveals to him about like the Hungarian man that kind of made a pass at her at the social ball they were at before. Because mm-hmm. um, I think what's what's very interesting about this movie when watching this time, it's like. Kidman is kind of the person we're following until that scene, until that mm-hmm. argument. She's it's like she's the one we're seeing at the beginning of the movie. She's the one we're kind of following throughout the film until the pivot when Cruz goes to see Sidney Pollock and the and the the woman who's overdosed. It's kind we're yeah. kind of following Kidman and then it kind of pivots and then it makes a full-on swing towards Cruz after their argument is what yeah, it is. Yeah. I think we definitely we we the movie opens by I think the kind of first like thirty minutes of the movie, its goal is to get us to understand what state of mind yeah. Kidman would be in to to want to reveal that information to Cruz when they have that argument. And then the rest of the movie is like, well what does that do to his psyche? Yeah. Um but but yeah it definitely spins the the the, the first you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes getting us into her state of mind up to that point. Yeah. And it's, it's this kind of like, I mean, again, it's like, it's still, it's still all at the very beginning still has this dreamlike quality to it all. And, and very much like it's, but it sets the scene of it's Christmas time. Um, they're in this kind of not suburban, but like up, upper, upper tier, comfortable lifestyle with the kind yes. of New yes, York city definitely. apartment. uh, very 90s like white uh, everything's kind of white and and like the structure the kind of feel of the apartment yeah it, it sets the tone very well and yeah but with the argument scene it's like it sets up kind of all the what's been kind of I guess bubbling under the surface or whatever uh, uh it's like it, it's 
with the, everyone's sexual desires. And when Kidman, it, it starts off like very like nice and they're, they're smoking pot and they're having a fun time. And it just becomes like, oh yeah, I would have left you for this one naval officer last mm-hmm. summer. And I would have and, like, and just like you are such an idiot. You do not yeah. understand women. You women, don't understand yeah. how the world works. Yeah. You just kind of assume like, oh, men are the only ones that can kind of have this sexual desire. It's kind of, and it's accepted or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the way that scene's done, cause it's a very long scene and how it kind of ebbs and flows in terms of the argument of it. Um, and, and I, I, I think Cruz and Kidman are, are really great. I know that's kind of a, like people kind of say, oh, they have no chemistry. But what I find so just like the, the, the idea to cast a real life couple is, is somewhat insane to me because mm-hmm. you are risking the idea of like, oh, are they going to have chemistry on, 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 uh, on camera? But what's the thing about that is like with acting, like you have to be vulnerable. And when you're putting, when you're being vulnerable with someone like you're kind of like you're at your acting partner, that's a lot. But you always have that separation between public and private a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And this one, you're watching literally a married couple like in very intimate moments together. And that, as an actor, I feel like that'd be so like terrifying mm-hmm. of like you're basically revealing, opening the door, the thing that you kind of keep yourself away from in the, pub- in the public persona, opening it up and letting you see how we interact with each other and you're wondering, Oh, is this how they are in real life? Like with, with one another. Yeah. I think, I think they're both amazing in that scene. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think if you, if you go into it expecting kind of naturalistic acting, yeah, you're, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that in any of this movie. Like that's kind of as, as we'll keep saying throughout this episode, that's the dream like nature of this movie is no one interacts with each other like normal human beings in this entire no. movie. You've got Tom Cruise doing like, I mean, he's just constantly in like a stupor in this entire yeah. movie. And that's that's one of the I, I like in his review. Roger Ebert says like there's there's like two recurring jokes that you have to understand in this movie. <laughs> and I think there's three. I think the, the one he doesn't list is that Dr. Bill almost only ever answers a question by like repeating what was just <laughs> said back to him. <laughs> And that is how he carries on conversation through the whole movie. And that, yeah. that feels like a dream, you know, you yeah, can't, yeah. you can't think of what to say. And you, you know, yeah, um, it's, it's the, what, Oh, the password, the password. What, what yeah. What is, Oh, what you is want the password? The password? <laughs> With the password? <laughs> but, but yeah, I think, I think for what they are doing, it's, it's engrossing and it's, you can't look away when, when Kidman's going off on this thing and then they just keep looking, cutting back to, uh, Cruz just being like uh, utterly shocked by yeah. what's unfolding. Yeah, I, I, I love that scene. I think it's great. I think Kidman is fantastic in it. Millions of years of evolution, right? Right? Men have to stick it in every place they can, but for women, women, it is just about security and commitment and uh, whatever the fuck else. A little oversimplified, Alice, but yes, something like that. If you men only i'll tell you what i do know is you got a little stone tonight you've been trying to pick a fight with me and now you're trying to make me jealous but you're not the jealous type are you no i'm not you've never been jealous about me have you no i haven't and why haven't you ever been jealous about me well i don't know alice maybe because you're my wife maybe because you're the mother of my child and i know you would never be unfaithful to me very sure of yourself, aren't you? 
now. I'm sure of you. Yeah, and it literally, think about that movie, so it, that scene is what sets up everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene That's the scene you always have to go back to in this movie of whether this is a fantasy or reality. Because it's right after this scene is when he goes to see uh, uh, Marie Richardson after her father's passed away. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's driving in the car, and there's that kind of like very odd, again, it feels almost like shining in a way, uh of interior shot of the cab with the mm-hmm. uh with the kind of um the rear projection type stuff behind it because they're not shooting in new york city and you begin to think like is this his imagination mm-hmm. as like a way of like to challenge what just was told to him because i mm-hmm. think i think the whole mo- like i think a lot of it's like this is a guy who's like his manhood's in question a lot of the yeah. time mm-hmm. and and I think the one he goes, oh, well, if she has sexual desires, I also have sexual desires, too. And that's why like, every woman or really person. Yeah, everybody. Uh, yeah. Everybody wants to bang Dr. Bill for the rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah. That, that is one of Ebert's two two jokes yeah. that you have to understand to get the movie. But then you also have this, like, you have that weird scene when he's walking the streets, and, like the college kids are, like, like mocking him out, mm-hmm. out of nowhere. But they're, like, basically called they're basically calling him gay is what it is. And it's like, it, it's just, a, it's like, it feels like in his mind, his manhood's being tested. Yeah. And it all stems from this possible affair. My wife could have had if she wanted to. And she yeah, would have It literally me. just comes from finding out that his wife is yeah. attracted to at any a, point to anyone at, other than him. <laughs> to him. And it's like, Oh my God, like what can I do to keep my wife? It's like, Oh, well it's like, well I could do the same thing too. And it's like, because the next scene is like it's a very similar thing where he goes to Marie Richardson and she goes, "I'm in love with you." And <laughs> that, she's, that was going to be that's going to be my next pick because I I love that that that's that kind of introduces the the recurring joke that like everyone just wants to bang Doctor Bill for no reason. And he's like he's like I don't know if we've ever had a conversation outside <laughs> of your dying father. I know I know, but I love you. I don't want to run away with my I don't want to move in with my boyfriend. <laughs> boyfriend. I don't want to get married. Yeah, I want I want to go with you. And it's just like falling head over heels with with Cruz and she he's like I don't know I don't know what's going on with you um but that's like and so that's a very kind of it it correlates with what the scene just happened before is that this character like like Kidman is willing to risk her entire like life she set up because she's attracted to this man and says so like mm. he's received he's on the he's now I'm on the receiving end of what it would have been and I think that's what's happening the entire movie is that it's like it's it's his thoughts. If you want to believe this thing is a dream, like it's his thoughts of like him sowing his wild oats, basically, and him his kind of carnal desires. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that scene. Go ahead. That's it. Because that yeah, scene if, is. If, if you can. I think that's the scene that marks like if you can get to that scene and get through that scene and not realize that this is a comedy, you know, that's you're going to you're going to miss the movie. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that scene's hilarious um and she's she's great in it she's she's really fun but yeah i think that's that's the well and you know we hear later on from kidman that she's had this like crazy vivid dream that night too so it's like you know what's yeah what's here to tell us other than dr bill what's here to tell us that his wasn't this dream as well i love you I love you. I don't want to go away with Carl. Marion, I don't think you realize 
I do. What? Even if I'm never to see you again, I want at least to live near you. Irene, listen to me. Listen to me. You're very upset right now, and I don't think you realize what you're saying. I love you. Mary, we barely know each other. I don't think we've had a single conversation about anything except your father. I love you. Another one of my picks is anything with Rachel Beggia in it. Um, <laughs> he's hilarious in this. And and I think that's that's his his little subplot is like what reminds me most of After Hours, I think. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, <laughs> like this costume rental guy who's like teenage daughter is entertaining businessmen in the mm-hmm. uh, in the stock room in the back of his store. Um, but he's he's great. He's hilarious. Um, and and I, I really like I don't know. I think everyone with the way that Cruz plays this movie, it, it makes such a good like character actor it makes it makes so much room for character actors because Dr. Bill is like such a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gives all these other people like so much room to like play off of him um, that it's, it's really, really fun. That Those are the ones that have like the, when you see the first scene to the second scene, they're vastly different. And like mm-hmm. what's cause like in that, in the first scene, like Milch is upset that his daughter's doing it and like, Oh my God, like, what are you doing? I'm going to, I'm going to lock these men in and call yeah. the cops. Yeah. And the next day it's like, no, we came to agreement. Yeah, like it's fine. I mean, it is like it is where like, like with that, it's very much after hours. Also, very Lynchian. It feels like in some of those moments, mm-hmm. if you want to compare it to that director. Um, but yeah, and then but then you have that tie of like um, with that costume stuff. It's like it's called like Under the Rainbow or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at the beginning of the movie, when he's at the uh, um, the social ball, and the two women who are kind of like coming on to him. Like they say, like we're gonna follow the rainbow is what it says. Yeah. So like there's, mm-hmm. there is like that. I'm not saying Wizard of Oz esque. There is like those rain, the kind of interesting references and the symbolism to things. And now as I'm talking, it reminds me a little bit of Under the Silver Lake in a way of like oh, follow, okay. following mm-hmm. like kind of certain things that go into like a, a under criminal or like an underbelly of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, and this idea of like, am I am I on the the trail of this huge conspiracy, or yeah. is it all just you know not innocent my, in any yeah. sense? But you know, it's it's really it's all my I'm, mind. I've made, yeah, yeah, and I've made it out to be a lot bigger than it than it actually yeah. is. So yeah, there's there, yeah. Sorry, that's just that's something that pops out to me of like a similarity between it. But yeah, and and, and yeah, and that scene kind of like has these weird like just yeah weird kind of things in it with the costume stuff that just feels kind of off. Like even like him at the him at the uh. uh uh, door of like oh yeah i'm coming to the guy who owns the rental store i'm his doctor well he's been moved he's been gone for a year he lives in chicago yeah. now you're like, here's my doctor's license he, if you he, if you don't he, agree he, he gives it to everyone he flat that that's the that's the other uh roger ebert joke you have to get is like he flashes his doctor's whatever that who also i don't think doctors carry their medical license in their in their wallet <laughs> like that but he flashes it like he's a cop you know he just yeah. he'll roll up to a scene and be like i'm a doctor and yeah, like yeah. with the with the scene with alan coming he just like rolls up starts interrogating the this hotel manager and just like flashes his badge like i'm a doctor you can tell me anything and it's like no that's not how being that's a doctor how it works, works. He, yeah he does it he does that the um uh at the the re- the diner next door from the club when he's trying to get nick nightingale he goes to the waitress he goes don't worry i'm a doctor <laughs> 
and he's like, not saying, don't worry, I'm his friend. It's like, no, 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 I'm a doctor. And yeah, it's you like, can tell, you can tell me anything. I'm tell a doctor. Me anything. I, I'm not going to do anything to him. I'm a doctor. What are you talking about? <laughs> Doctors don't kill people. Like, that's what it's just like, no, I'm good. Don't worry about me. Um, and yeah, and that's, and it's like every scene. Like, he does it every scene. Again, after, um, I guess after the argument, I don't know if he does it before then, because you kind of just, you know, that he is a doctor, but then every single yeah. that is just like, oh, no, yeah, I'm a, but that's I'm a like, doctor. like the two women who approach him at the party are because he like helped that one woman get something, the model, yeah, with get the model. And I'm eye, like, right? why was he there? What, what was yeah. he doing at a model shoot in New York? And he's like, yeah, oh, he's just yeah. walking by and everyone was just watching me. And you really, you were nice and helped me and let's go follow the rainbow. So what's another scene that you have? Um, I mean, I, I feel like, it's it's cliche to say the orgy scene but I, I do think not necessarily the orgy scene so much as like the when he when he comes in and yeah. you've got the 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 gregorian chant playing backwards yeah. and they're they're all coming i think that scene is 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 like insanely well done and it's just it's you know it's that moment in a dream where it just turns you know up until then it's been like very pleasant for him he's having a great time that's why he goes to that part it's almost like you know the night has been working out so well for him up until then yeah that he's just like i'm gonna keep i got this tip about this party i'm gonna keep following where this night takes me and then that's the moment when he like walks in and it's just like the flip the the switch flips and he's just like oh i am in over my head Well, no, and, and that's the scene pre- before that that I like is when he goes and sees Nick at the bar. Mm-hmm. Because, like, because in that moment, like, Bill is, like, very, like, unnaturally aggressive, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's sense. super cocky. He's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm having a great night. People keep coming on to me. You know, my dead patient's uh, daughter came on to me. This really nice hooker came on to me. Yeah. Um, let's let's keep the night going. He's like, come on, and, Nick. Just give me, yeah, give me the code. Give yeah, me the password. He's, he's like, Nick you know i'm not gonna let you leave here without me going there with you and you're like where did this confidence come from he's like you just give me, I, I already know the password nick just give me the address well i won't even pretend that i know you like um and it just feels so just yeah very just uneasy in that and the way that he sh- the way that kubrick is shooting uh nick or todd field's character like it's just, it's it's like it's ominous and, I, and the way the side thing here the way like kubrick uses christmas mm-hmm. as a backdrop with this is also fantastic because it gives him a way to kind of always have lights and stuff in the background to give kind of texture yeah. uh, to the scene but that club scene yeah it's just it that's where that's when you you begin to start taking a little bit of a a step into the uh otherworldly or uneasiness unease of the story yeah for sure and like yeah so the orgy scene like it's it's and th- let's go in this with the erotic, erotic thriller nature because this I want something I want to bring up because um, a lot of people argue this isn't an erotic thriller is what a lot of people say um, because there's not a lot of thrilling moments I guess you could mm-hmm. say but I I, like I said I, I think it's a stripped down version of that I I, I was telling someone how, how it reminds me of a weird comparison but I remember, remember that movie Haywire by Soderbergh yeah. Like yeah. I remember, like critics loved it because it was like this hardcore action film, blah blah. But like, audiences hated it because they thought it was boring. Mm-hmm. And I think because Soderbergh shoots like he shot it was pre John Wick, but he sh- he shot all the fight scenes like long takes, felt felt very realistic. You're hearing like a- the actors breathing, like getting tired. There's no music and there's no fast cutting, mm-hmm. and audiences kind of hated that. 
And I feel like this is similar when looking at Eyes Wide Shut compared to the other erotic thrillers is that the pace of it and the way he shoots it makes it feel like something else completely. Um, yeah. It's like erotic thrillers are like very fast paced and like almost like MTV influence. I think we'll talk about that a lot next week with Adrian Lynn. But there's something like like almost music video uh, inherent in some of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and this doesn't have that. This is long takes, drawn out, very quiet for the most part, except when you have that those musical cues that come in there. But very different. But still, like it is a still version of this type movie. Yeah, well, I, I think this this too, and we can get into it here. Um, so in, within the genre, it's it's a the weird thing about erotic thrillers is mm-hmm. so in so many erotic thrillers, the lesson at the end of the movie is like sex is dangerous. Yeah, uh, sex can get you in bad situations. Uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about fatal attraction, but you know, what's yeah. the lesson of fatal attraction? Hey, don't cheat on your wife. Um, <laughs> but they still, the, the movies are weird because they're like, you're watching it. And, and like, for most of the movie, it's like, Oh, look how hot this is. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, ha ha, gotcha. Sex is bad. <laughs> Whereas this, this movie, like the whole way through is like, sex is weird. I don't yeah. necessarily know that this movie says that like sex is bad, but it, it, it never it, it i think it still follows the a, a very erotic thriller kind of plot but the yeah. the way it's shot and the way everyone in it is acting is this like a, like a dream like a kind of distance thing of being like look how look how weird sex makes all of us like it makes us all act crazy and so it, it doesn't have that it never has that moment like most of these erotic thrillers have like at least at some point in the movie where it's like elbowing you inside, like, yeah, that's pretty hot, right? That's pretty hot. Yeah. And then like at the end, they're like, haha, gotcha. It's it's yeah. bad. Um, whereas this movie, the whole time is like, sex is weird, guys. Like, yeah. I makes you do weird things. Yeah, I think someone put it, like, it's, it, it, he shoots it in a very like ritualistic way. And that's when the orgy mm-hmm. comes in. Like the orgy is very ritualistic and you're just like watching these, these like going, literally going in room to room and seeing almost like a weird sideshow of mm-hmm. sexual activity is basically what's happening. Um, and every, is everything feels so distant, even in the camera, even in the, like the content being shown, like it just feels there's nothing, there's nothing, there's, there's things erotic about, but there's nothing sexy about it is kind of the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a big component of erotic thrillers. It's like, it's, yeah. it's gotta be sexy. Hayes has to be coming in. And, and he's like, now I'm going to replace Hayes with Christmas lights because that's about family. No, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's, it's a very weird, like just the, again, it's the behind closed doors is kind of the thing that he's like, looks like he's going into with a lot of this stuff. And I'm not, it's not going to be that like eighties erotic thriller score. It's going to be this like ritualistic, uh, like it, the, the chance by the time he gets into the orgy that like chanting has died off, but then it's that, that like tribal drum music yeah. almost it's, yeah, yeah it's it's uh yeah, it's wild it's yeah it is it is very wild and I, I i'll bring up someone here too that I like i do like cindy pollock in this movie for like yeah. a guy who's like there to kind of just dump exposition a lot walking of the time exposition feels, yeah, yeah. Like every scene is kind of that way well like i think about him because again with his character victor it's like this dude was having sex with the prostitute in the middle of his party at the beginning of the his movie his own party with his, his wife own party there. with his wife there and he's just like ah yeah she was she was shooting up. Yeah, we were just having fun in the bathroom. We were having, we're having fun bathroom. Yeah, having she had sex. a little too much fun. And she had too much fun. And like, oh yeah, all my guests are outside. Like, I'm just like, 
it's just it's yeah it's this weird like this upper rich class of people like and again mm. it has this, this interesting kind of uh class levels in it too and to go with that party it's like yeah everyone shows up in limos but dr bill who who seems very well off arrives in the taxi like mm-hmm. uh he's like yeah we we kind of figured you weren't part of the group because you arrived in the taxi when everyone else is yeah. like they're not showing up in a taxi at this party where they're they're too damn rich uh to do so but yeah i, I still like his stuff and i think like it's like the the kind of the first conversation they have and the second conversation like after after the party where it's like kind of revealed that oh yeah Sidney pollock was there i think but yeah to go with the origin it's like again talking about the idea of like the manhood and everything and it's when he has to take his like mask off at the orgy where it's like he's again like his he he's made to feel inferior by the other men around him in some Mm -hmm. way and i think that all goes back to the hearing oh yeah this other man just had this like could have had sex with my wife and I feel just kind of less than because of that. And so his, 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 that's always being tested in the movie. Just real quick, I think the Alan Cummings scene is hilarious. I yeah. think Alan Cummings great. Uh, not not a lot going on. Just kind of the running joke that that you know everyone who meets Doctor Bill is like immediately enamored with him, yeah. and so he just rolls into this hotel, and this clerk just like spills his guts immediately. Yeah. Um, What's still good about it is that, like after hours, like everything is like contained scenes. Like mm-hmm. nothing, it's never like the scene with Alan Cummings never referenced again outside of that. The scene with the rental place is never really referenced again, um, but they're all very contained. And Kubrick shoots them and directs them incredibly well. Can you please ring Mr. Nightingale's room for me, Nick Nightingale? I'm sorry, sir. Mr. Nightingale has already checked out. You checked out? Yes. Uh, did he leave a forwarding address? No, I'm afraid not. No. When did he check out? Um, about five o'clock this morning. Five o'clock. Yes. It's pretty early checkout, isn't it? <laughs> it is a little on the early side. Yeah. <laughs> Look. Uh, did you notice anything? Uh, I don't know. Unusual about him when he left. Unusual. Hey, you're not 5-0, are you? No. <laughs> no, I'm an old friend of his. Really? I'm a doctor. So now, now we'll get into production, where we have a lot more, a lot more info to cover. Uh, so production began on the film in 1996 in November at Pinewood Studios in London. Due to Kubrick's fear of flying, the entire film was shot in London, despite being uh, pretty importantly set in New York New City. New York City. <laughs> A, uh, a huge recreation of Greenwich Village was created on the Pinewood backlot with Kubrick infamously sending his construction crew to New York to measure the exact widths of the streets and the sidewalks and to note the exact placing of newspaper stands on the streets there so that it would be supposedly indistinguishable from Greenwich Village. I think you can still kind of tell it's a backlot, but it's very yeah. well done. It's very well done. Uh, Larry Smith, uh, Kubrick's longtime gaffer on projects including Barry Lyndon and The Shining, was bumped up to DP for this film. This was his first time as cinematographer, specifically because Kubrick had a particular interest in the lighting for this film. So he was like, I want, I want this guy. He knows, he knows lighting. He's a gaffer. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be my DP on this. They tested every type of film stock from Kodak to find the one stock that would worst, work best with their lighting goals. 
eventually landing on a stock that was no longer in production. But Kodak agreed to start making it again. They said they would make as much as Kubrick needed just for the film. (laughs) Because we're going to make bank on that. They know they're going to make so much money. (laughs) So as you can tell from just those two examples, Kubrick was extremely meticulous, especially on this movie. Mm -hmm. He put months of prep into working with his actors, including uh, very controversially making Kidman and Cruz attend couples therapy with him present. So you just kind (laughs) of... sat in on couples therapy sessions with them so he could get to the bottom of their relationship yeah uh he also liked to rework the script while they were shooting which led to endless takes of scenes in which he continued to tweak and tweak and tweak and restart reblock uh and you know sometimes a scene they had scheduled for a day would end up taking two weeks because of this eyes wide shut became and is still the guinness world record holder for the longest continuous film shoot clocking in at exactly 400 shoot days which is insane that's 400 days worth of production paperwork i can't even imagine (laughs) Uh, one thing i want to say this real quick too about the scene stuff about him rewriting because i'll just bring this tidbit in uh and you'll probably say his name later but leon vitale who's was kubrick's like longtime assistant and who's in the film uh i remember him saying because he was in barry linden as an actor and he said yeah when i got script for barry linden it was just like it was like exterior this place seemed to be uh, uh be determined to be determined he's like the <laughs> entire script was just that it was just tbd the entire way through and you're like and he just wrote it the day before like he just kept rewriting it rewriting until the day before yeah. um even in like the shining you just see him like jack nelson's like oh yeah i get the script and i rip it up because it's gonna change tomorrow so i don't <laughs> even care <laughs> yeah it's literally impossible to schedule for that kind of work yeah uh so after starting in 1996, filming wrapped in June of 1998. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 and Practical Magic were both heavily delayed because of the shoot for this movie. And you and I, I know, have several times brought up movies on the podcast where like, oh, Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman wasn't able to do this movie because they shut. were doing Eyes Wide Shut <laughs> for two years. But yeah, this is reflected in many of the cast schedules. Vanessa Shaw was originally booked for two weeks. She ended up staying in London for two months to shoot her scenes as Domino. Uh, Alan Cumming for his one scene had to audition six times. <laughs> and then some of the cast, which we'll talk about later in kind yeah. of alternate universe shot scenes, yep. couldn't come back for unplanned reshoots. And then were just like completely recast and shot out of the movie. That's what, that's what adds to your days right there. That's what yeah. adds that 400 days. Yeah. Completely reshooting scenes you already had in the can. Yeah. Uh, ultimately a million feet of film was shot for the project. So yeah, Kodak, Gosh. Kodak did pretty well, I think. So Kubrick, who was notorious for playing mental games with his cast, you know, I think it's come out in, in recent years how poorly he treated uh, Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining, uh, reportedly tried to drive a wedge between Kidman and Cruz to make the tension between Alice and Bill even more palpable to just shoot the inserts of Bill's visions of Alice cheating on him. Kubrick took two weeks of filming for those inserts with Kidman required to be nude with another actor for almost the entire time and forbade her from telling Cruz how the shoot was going. Uh, he also refused to let Cruz use Apple boxes around Kidman, uh, who was uh, yeah. famously taller than him, yeah. to show the the shifting power dynamics between the two. Jocelyn Pook, who is the composer for the film, was brought in after the choreographer for the movie used one of her tracks when they uh-huh. were doing the scene of kind of the women coming out and being anointed or whatever to begin yeah. the orgy scene. And the track that they use of Jocelyn Pook, she had made a, a track for one of her albums. She was a recording artist. She made a track for one of her albums that was was a Gregorian chant played backwards. 
-hmm. So they, they used that for the scene and Kubrick really liked it and reached out to her. Uh, she says he reached out to her to create something similar to the film. And he said, let's make awesome sex music when he hired her to which she replied like Barry white. <laughs> <laughs> so she did most of the, all the work for the orgy scene, mm -hmm. including like we were saying, kind of the tribal music that's playing uh, in the actual orgy. And then in addition to her work, Kubrick heavily scored the film with existing classical music. After 400 days of shooting, Kubrick took nine months to complete his first cut of the film, showing it to Cruz, Kidman, and Warner Brothers execs on March 1st, 1999. He then passed away from a heart attack six days later. There's been a lot of debate, as I said earlier, as to whether the intense shooting for this film was partially to blame for Kubrick's health. While his assistant on the film says Kubrick was exhausted by the end of his first cut, his family has said they never noticed any difference in his demeanor throughout the shoot. So it's kind of debated as to whether 400 shoot days exhausted him physically or not according to screenwriter frederick Raphael, warner brothers consulted him on cuts made after kubrick's death but most of the final edit was overseen uh as by Sidney pollock who did it uncredited as a final favor to kubrick controversially uh digital effects were used in the uh to obscure some of the more vividly simulated sexual instances in the orgy when you watch closely there's some digitally rendered people who can be noticed standing in front of the more explicit couple scenes. Mm -hmm. um, although I, it's, it, I still think it's very well done for 1999. I, I don't notice rewatching it. it this time. I mean, I've got, I've got a pretty big 4K TV, and I, you, you can, you can see a little bit. They're, they're just the lighting. They're a little bit more rubbery than yeah. people. I mean, I think the smart thing is the camera's moving and they aren't. So there's yeah. no like movement of the digital yeah. uh people to really be like oh they're not moving like human beings but but yeah it's 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 very very well done and this was done to prevent the film from being given an nc-17 rating which is often considered a box office killer in the film industry that means you cannot get in to see it no matter what if you're under 17 yeah uh many have criticized this move saying it tampered with kubrick's original vision after his death uh, but by all accounts, this seems to be in line with his intentions for the film. Kubrick seems to have been very interested in making Eyes Wide Shut a box office success. You know, people are always like, oh, it's Kubrick's artistic vision. They should have released it NC-17. They should have made it unrated. But he actually put in a lot of work to make sure this movie would do well. He had requested pages and pages of box office numbers from Warner Brothers that he poured over so that he could pick the optimal weekend to release the film. And he picked the release date himself. Wow. Said this movie has to come out July 16th, 1999. A lot of people close to him during the post-production process also say that he, he was openly worried about the film getting an NC-17. And he had already expressed openness to make cuts in order to get it down to R uh, before he passed away. So, you know, one of, one of the many reasons this film kind of gets trashed as people are like oh it's not kubert's true vision but it sounds like it It sounds like he was pretty happy with you know the way it was going yeah i mean yeah because that's what i've heard it's like I, i've heard like i think even nolan has talked about this and and nolan didn't know kubrick it's a, but he's like oh yeah i think he would have made some changes with the school with the music cues and this and that and i was like we don't know that like we don't mm -hmm. know i i we're, we i think with eyes wide shut i think that's when we're like we really put the icon or the the persona of kubrick on a pedestal of mm -hmm. like well 
we can't really count this one because like he passed away before it finally released. Cause he was so, he, he was known to edit up until the release date. So like he would have changed a lot of stuff, but like, we don't, we don't know that. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see this as a rough cut. Yeah. This is a pretty, pretty, we can we can have that conversation about AI, but we can't have that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I think this was pretty close to his final this vision. Pretty close. Yeah, like I said, it, this fits. This fit. This feels like all of his other stuff. Like mm. it, it's there. It's just I think it's like it's just because I think people use that as an excuse, and we'll, you'll probably talk about this more with aftermath. Aftermath, but people use that excuse of that because they didn't understand it. It's mm-hmm. like oh yeah, he would made it better, so we can't count this one. Yeah. So going into the aftermath, like mm-hmm. I said before, it's it's really hard to imagine a quote unquote art film of this type having as highly awaited release as Eyes Wide Shut did. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the film world, expectations were insanely high. It was being touted as it was Kubrick's first film in 12 years on one yeah. hand, and it was also being touted as his magnum opus. He passed away while he was making it. It's the last Kubrick film you'll ever see. He spent two years making it blah 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 blah. in the pop world the on-screen pairing of Cruz and kidman while they had already done uh days of thunder together and uh what's a far and away far and away far and away i was kept saying what's the irish one Um, that's the ron howard yeah uh while they'd already done those two films together this film was being marketed as being highly erotic and so everyone was talking about it there were a lot of rumors going around i mean this is early internet days so this is just like word of mouth but there there were like rumors going around that they had actually had real unsimulated sex and kubrick had filmed it so everyone was thinking like we're gonna go see this movie and we're gonna get like a porn movie with nicole kidman and tom cruise yeah this is this is like the tabloids would kill for this stuff basically is what it is if only to add fuel to the fire the trailer that was released contained only kidman and cruise's scene in front of the mirror where they're both nude and kind of like embracing each other and kissing and whatnot in front of this and mirror. It's the, Chris, it's the Chris Isaac song, right? Is what yeah, it is? Yeah. yeah. And it was actually a much longer version of that shot than was even featured in the film. It just kind of held on that shot. And then it was like eyes wide shut. So everybody was like, oh my God, this movie is going to be <laughs> insane. The whole movie is just going to be Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise having sex. It was nothing farther from the truth. <laughs> So maybe Warner Brothers, maybe if anything, Kubrick wouldn't have been happy with the way Warner Brothers marketed it. But yeah, who knows? Yeah, I agree um, But the combination of the buzz around Kubrick's death with Kidman and Cruz's relationship, along with Kubrick's own research into the box office, I, I think he nailed the release day, yeah. led to a huge opening for the film. It opened at number one with $22 million in its opening weekend. It was Kubrick's first film ever to open at number one. And it was at that point, Cruz's sixth consecutive number one opening for a movie. So, I mean, literally like the biggest actor in the world and his wife. I was like, you have to realize that Cruz is the biggest actor in the world. And it's like, I'm going to take a year and I mean, I'm going to go make a movie for a year and a half. Like this, this like really talk about shockwaves through the industry. I mean, I was, I read, uh, the book uh 1999 like the the greatest year mm. of movies or whatever and they talked about how like hollywood didn't know what to do because like our biggest star is often england making a kubrick movie who can we have to replace him and that's what prompted i think universal to cast brendan fraser in the mummy weirdly enough mm. um was because like it kind of made brendan fraser they had basically hollywood had to create new stars they could put into movies is what the book mm-hmm. was saying and brendan fraser was like the tom cruise replacement <laughs> uh the irony is that 
Cruise would later be in the Mummy in, in twenty ten. Pretty disappointingly, yeah. Being in the mummy. But like, Fra- but kind of like like that. Like Fra- Fraser kind of like um, filled the niche and other stars as well that Cruise has kind of gone away from to go make mm-hmm. Kubrick's movie. But again, like Cruise is a guy where like you know how much he loves cinema. Like he's gonna take that chance to go make a Kubrick film. Like that's yeah. just him. So yeah, big box office opening weekend, yeah. critical reception, mostly poor. <laughs> Many critics were just openly disappointed that, you know, this flawed film that they had been handed was, you know, this two year production that may have killed Stanley Kubrick. You know, it yeah. was there was all this pressure being put on this movie, and so critics were just like, no. Uh Pauline Kale called it ludicrous from from the word go, while Andrew Saris ripped the performances of Kidman and Cruz yeah, and bemoaned the uh, kind of cold ornateness of Kubrick's filmmaking. He said it was all Kubrick's fault for like being too much of a control freak. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is important to note, you go back and read all these bad reviews, most of the critics who dislike the film don't mention once in their review that it is a comedy. Yeah. So I don't want to say, you know, Except shout Ebert. out Pauline Kale, big fan. Yeah. yeah, only one person of the major professional film critics at the time said, oh, this is a funny comedy, and that was Roger Ebert. <laughs> that was our boy, Raj. Gave it three and a half stars and called it an erotic daydream about chances missed and opportunities avoided. Hey, I think he bring does he bring up After Hours? Someone brings up After yeah. Hours. Yeah. yeah, he brought up After Hours. Um, yeah. And then Lee Siegel in Harper's Bazaar, a couple of months after kind of the dust had settled, wrote this article called what the critics missed about eyes wide shut uh where, where he really sums it up best he says that the press around the film had become so pervasive by the time it, it was released that even you know these really respected critics like andrew saris like pauline kale were really just writing critiques of the marketing of the film and yeah. not giving the film a fair shot you know in a vacuum which is i mean you I guess you're allowed to incorporate the marketing. You're allowed to do whatever you want with your film critique, but they weren't really giving the film a fair shot outside of this kind of pop art, you know, fervor that, that Warner brothers had created for it. This was not what was promised to me. It's kind of the thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So with a lot of pans by the critics, along with word spreading among people that the movie wasn't actually as erotic as they thought it would be (laughs) or thrilling as they thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) It really dropped off after the first weekend. So it made uh, 22 million in the opening weekend. It ended its American run with 55 million domestically. Wow. Yeah. It's a huge drop off. (laughs) It was definitely one of those. Like if you didn't see it, the opening weekend all your friends were like, Hey, don't go see, don't go see eyes wide shut. I saw it was kind of bullshit. (laughs) Oh yeah. I talked to my buddy and he said, he he said he goes he goes he saw it in theaters when it came out he goes like oh yeah we were all laughing not because and not because they thought it was a comedy they thought it was just so like cheesy he's mm-hmm. like yeah he goes literally every time you heard like the piano chord or like someone like the ding like bong ding. or whatever he goes ding, everyone ding, ding, would just ding. like everyone would just die out laughing <laughs> at it yeah he's like you're no. supposed to <laughs> <laughs> but kind of inexplicably it was a huge hit in uh, South America and Japan. Which, you know, they often say like talkie movies don't don't yeah. perform talk don't perform well in other countries. Yeah. Uh great run internationally. So fifty five million domestically ultimately uh ended its worldwide box office run one hundred sixty two million worldwide. Wow. On a uh, on a sixty five million dollar budget. So it ended up being Kubrick's most commercially successful film. Do you think that's because of Cruise? 
Oh, absolutely. Like I, I, at the international box, obviously like it's like, I remember hearing about him. I hate, we, we might talk to this or whatever, like hearing him talk about like he would be in a movie and he's like, they're like, yeah, but we don't have like money for the marketing. Goes, don't worry. I'll be there. And he like shows up for a week and goes on tonight show and does this. And he's just like, all right, we need a boost in the box office or something. The weekend mm-hmm. is coming out. He's like, oh, okay, don't worry. I'll show up. And yeah, then just I got like, this. Just like five, like a whole press run in one week. He goes, there you go. And they're like, that's why it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. So in the years since, as kind of the initial fervor has died down and the movie's been able to stand on its own outside of the stories about Kubrick's death, outside of the legend of Kidman and Cruise's relationship, people are able to recognize it more as a comedy, as this kind of, as we were saying at the beginning, almost like a, almost a parody. Like it's, it's obviously it's bizarre. Obviously it, it is unlike anything else you've ever seen, but it's a but it is kind of yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a deconstruction of of erotic thrillers that came before it, in which sex is consistently twisted to be ridiculous, sanitized, perverse, and and even deadly. In the case of you know his interactions with Domino, although not you know that's not in the way that sex was deadly in the erotic thrillers of the 1980s. Yeah. You know, HIV and AIDS was something that was always always lurking in the shadows of the late 80s erotic thrillers but was never spoken about and and then here it's you know it's it's used as this like bombshell for that storyline yeah that's a good point because we i mentioned in the first episode bite about how like the rise of the erotic thriller came at a time when a hiv aids was beginning to run rampant in america and in the world and you're having this on-screen thing of just like sex 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 all the time and you have this kind of unknown disease that's starting to kind of take 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 people's lives basically. And now you have this. It's like we're actually going to mention it, and you're like, oh yeah, there is like repercussions to all this. Mm-hmm. Is the thing. Yeah, and I mean, and if you if you're of the mindset that you believe Sidney Pollock at the end of the film, then you know if if you know previous erotic thrillers are all about like oh sex leads to this like you know dark underworld like we were saying and it it leads to death in that way sex leads to transgression it leads to violence it leads to death if if you are of the mind that you believe Sidney pollock at the end of the film then all that the only sex that leads to death in this movie is stds you know if 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 no one was was murdered over this sex cult then 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 it really is a complete twist of the erotic thriller idea that like sex leads to death it's like yeah it does but more realistically it can be you know unsafe sex can lead to this type of death a lot lot to unpack there a lot yeah, to unpack this movie. we barely scratched the surface of things to unpack in this movie yeah uh you know it's it's there, there there's as much like symbolism and all this stuff in this as there is in the shining but yeah no yeah, everybody, wants, everybody wants to talk about room 237 instead uh so what what works in this movie we've touched on a lot of it but let's 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 wrap it all let's let's bring it yeah. all together here i mean it, it's it's for one it's it's kubrick's like style with this movie mm-hmm. like i just in in another person's hands this is like a way more fast-paced type film like like you could see you could see someone kind of stand like this two and a half hour movie down to like hour and 45 Mm-hmm. like yeah i think that he doesn't get the invite to uh go to the the the, sec- the the orgy scene until like an hour into the movie it's it's it is exactly at the 59 minute mark when nick writes down fidelio on the on the napkin 
like it's late and anything like that that would be in, in some cases the inciting incident or whatever or the end of act it's the end of act one and it's happening pretty late in the movie mm. um i like Cruz and kidman i think they're i think the cat i think the cast overall is is great i think it's it's funny he uses two big stars in the lead but then he kind of like there's Sidney pollock but they kind of uses all like character actors and other mm-hmm. He could have easily, and I think there's some people in the alternate universe cast you might mention later that fit into this, but like, he could have used a lot more bigger actors in some of these roles, but he kind of chose yeah. to go Vanessa Shaw from Hocus Pocus. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, but yeah, and I think I think production design's amazing for, for them to recreate mm-hmm. New York City like that, I think is, is fantastic. And that also kind of adds to the dreamlike quality because, like, it all, like, every street kind of feels the same in a way. Mm hmm. Which also kind of can feel like a, just a few things kind of changed. And ev- it, every block is like perpendicular to another yeah. one. There's never like these, you know, there's, there's never there the long streets. running yeah, blocks yeah. like there are in New York. Yeah. So it's just a very, it's a very interesting kind of world he they create in this movie. Um, yeah. I, I like the kind of the 90s vibe to it. There's like, like, like them at the toy store at the end, like mm-hmm. very 90s. Um, their apartment very 90s like anywhere he kind of goes out it's a very like 1990s world even if there is like probably some some falseness to it in a way but that's what kind of like makes it really really work for me yeah what about you what worked for yeah, you yeah no i agree i think i think the atmosphere that he's able to create in this movie is is like there's so in the history of hollywood there's so many bad dream sequences out there yeah yeah and the fact that he's able to like sustain that for, for two and a half hours, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it does have that feeling of like yeah floating through a dream and you know when you drop into a scene you're just like oh am i oh okay yeah i'm in i'm in i'm here this makes sense yeah and, and like i said the way that he anytime anybody says something to him he like repeats it back to him i i, I have the same feeling about this movie like i do some like coen brothers movies like the, the yeah. more i come back to it the funnier it is to me because you know these moments are coming you're just like this is ridiculous <laughs> um yeah i think I, I i think of of his films this one has the most rewatchability for me i agree this, I this agree. and the shining um, i agree completely it's it's this one in the shining feel like like the richest texts like he's he really had a lot to say in both of these and and he's he's saying it and both of these are the most misunderstood when they came out is the thing like shining yeah. and eyes wide shut were both like what the hell is this like <laughs> with the shine they're like they wanted a stephen king movie and it wasn't really it was it was more kubrick than stephen king and like because that was like nominated for like the golden raspberry like he was nominated for worst director that year like mm-hmm. very misunderstood and just like this misunderstood time release and then just built yeah. over time. Now we can look back and say, Hey Razzie's bad call. Just like yeah. nominating Ben Affleck for last, for the duel. last duel. Get the hell what out of here. That? Get the hell out of here with that bullshit like that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I, I, I love what they're doing with music in here. I, yeah. I, it's, it's weird. Like that, that piano just over and over again is weird, but it's, but it's amazing. Um, which reminds me, I, I something I love that definitely uh, borrowed a lot from this uh-huh. movie uh-huh. is uh, the particularly the the um, kind of like limbo uh, scenes from the leftovers. Yeah, there's there's two particular episodes in the leftovers that's kind of set in this like dreamlike world, and they they take they take classical music and like play it over and over again with these cues and and 
it's very very similar i think they i think they borrowed a lot from eyes wide shut Mm -hmm. for those episodes uh anything not work i don't have anything honestly um I'm not saying it's not it's not imperfect. It's not imperfect. No, not, it's an incredibly flawed film. But yeah, it's incredibly flawed. Everything film. is done so purposefully. Yeah, that it works. I think. Yeah, yeah. Which is I the agree. weird thing about this movie. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's hard to explain. It's like yeah, it's like yeah. Is it is it overly long? Yeah, it probably is. Like, um, but some there's something kind of again hip, hypnotic about it. Yeah, <laughs> so it is. It is honestly about as far from a perfect movie as you can get yeah <laughs> but still i like wouldn't change anything about yeah, it. yeah exactly it's like what, what do you do it's like yeah tom cruise like, like they, they kind of like tom cruise can feel stilted as can kidman like kidman's kind of over the top with her motions and the laughing and this but like again are we in a dream who the hell knows like, yeah. it, like that's the thing it's like yeah, I've seen like, a, I've seen a lot of critics and their reviews are like, "What is what is Nicole Kidman smoking that makes her act like that?" And I'm like, "What else in this movie makes sense? Why does like the type of pot they're smoking have to make sense as well?" <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's like the, it's and so yeah, it's it's um it's very much like again we've said this before uh, on certain episodes like you have to kind of like meet a movie where it's at mm-hmm. and like Eyes Wide Shut is not just the movie you put on on a sunday afternoon all the time like it's 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 a movie you kind of have to really prepare yourself for um and so yeah it's not for everybody but again it's like but again yeah it's it's that's thing about kubrick is like i think he's not always for everyone but that doesn't make it bad is the thing Mm -hmm. like yeah he can be cold he can be distant but that's the face value stuff and then you have underneath you have like oh he's kind of funny like um so yeah it's like you said it's 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 imperfect but I, I don't know what to change. I don't yeah. know what to fix. Yeah. Especially if you, if you like, like in my experience, if you approach it like a comedy. Yeah. I think it does everything it sets out to do. Uh, if you don't approach it like a comedy, you might think the whole thing is a failure. Yeah. Um, so moving on to alternate universe cast, the two cast members I mentioned previously who were completely cut out of the movie due to scheduling were Harvey Keitel and Jennifer Jason Lee. Keitel was playing uh, Ziegler and shot several scenes, but backed out due to scheduling and was replaced by Sidney Pollack. And Jennifer Jason Lee shot all of the scenes for Domino. Wow. But when but when reshoots were needed, she was booked on existence with Cronenberg. Uh, oh, Cronenberg. Oh, wow. And she'd already started production on that. So she was replaced with Vanessa Shaw. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart has mentioned in interviews that she also auditioned for... Uh, domino after lee was being replaced so uh, it seems like they definitely were going with some sort of like like a wholesome yeah let's pick somebody who's kind of known for being wholesome at the time not not a teen heartthrob but like like right after that kind of like early early 20s or whatever Mm -hmm. so this is this isn't alternate universe cast but this is kind of secret secret cast yeah yeah uh abigail good who played the mysterious woman who saves dr bill at the orgy was a british model and uh just couldn't muster an English or an American accent for the film. So in post, they realized they were going to have to go back and have somebody dub her lines. So Kubrick was looking for someone to dub the lines in post and Kidman recommended her friend, Kate Blanchett, who had just recently kind of blown up. Uh, This was the same year as Elizabeth, which was kind of a breakout. Oh yeah. Okay. And 
but she dubbed the role uncredited and it was not until 2019 that it was yeah. revealed by uh, his assistant his former assistant that well, Kate well, Blanchett Le- had voiced that role oh, I was Le- Leon yeah Leon did yeah and and Leon Leon Vitale is the voice of um uh like the headmaster of the yeah they call it like the man in red i think is what it's credited as because leon side thing leon uh because he comes to the cinephile and i I chat with them occasionally when i see him but like he he he's the film workers documentary he's in but like he he started off as an actor and then just like like he was in like royal shakespeare i think royal Royal shakespeare i believe what it was or he he was training he was he was a trained actor doing very well saw a clockwork orange like i want to work with stanley kubrick worked with him acted in on Barry Lyndon and then like just uh, like basically committed to being Kubrick's assistant for the rest of Kubrick's career and mm. still kind of runs the state. But Kubrick was like, Hey, I think you'd be good to play the man in red. So like kind of bring him back out to act again. And he does. Mm-hmm. I think he does a great job. Like his voice is kind of like the, pa- like what is the password? It's, it's mm-hmm. a very ominous character. That is the Le- password for the house. Yes. Yeah. So some film facts, uh, <laughs> This is the only film made by Stanley Kubrick to be released after Woody Woodpecker creator Walter Lance's death. Kubrick had a recurring, I don't know if this is a joke or what, Kubrick had asked Lance for permission to use Woody Woodpecker in every film he had made since the cartoon character's creation. However, Lance always refused, but it just kind of became this thing where (laughs) Kubrick would be like, all right, I'm going to try and get Woody Woodpecker in this movie. And Lance would be like, no, you can't have Woody Woodpecker. Um... (laughs) And for this film, Kubrick did not seek permission from Lance's estate to use Woody Woodpecker in the film out of respect for Lance's recent passing. Uh, so there you go. So they probably would let him do it. They probably let him use it. I yeah. guess. According to Sidney Pollack, uh, Kubrick had such a good reputation that he could shoot in England for a fraction of the cost in the USA. The quote from Pollock says, while the rest of us poor bastards are able to get 16 weeks out of filming for 70 million with a $20 million star, Stanley could get 45 weeks of shooting for 65 million. <laughs> uh, Fidelio, which is the password to the orgy, is a reference to Beethoven's only opera, Fidelio, which deals with a woman whisk- risking her life for the love of her husband. So holding up these yeah. kind of marital love. The mask created for Cruise 2 where the orgy was modeled after Ryan O'Neill, who Kubrick had oh. worked with on Barry Lyndon. It's a great mask. That's a great yeah. mask. <laughs> yeah. uh, according to Raphael, the screenwriter, other titles titles considered for the film were You and Me and The Female Subject. Uh, Kubrick came up with Eyes Wide Shut himself. That that That's the better of the three. <laughs> kind of interesting. I was reading in, in Pauline Kael's review of the film she's like has like a big problem with them using that chris isaac song Uh um and she i mean she gets like she's like it's it's not actually a review of the film it's like an interview where they were asking her about the movie and and she's like what is that what's that placement of the song supposed to mean like he's he's saying they did a bad bad thing but it's over like the two of them and they're married so like is it saying that intermarital sex is is a bad bad thing like what's what's the point of this song well it turns out that uh Kubrick had encouraged Kidman to put on music that she liked during her nude scenes to make her more comfortable. And she had put on that song at some point and Kubrick was just like, Oh, what's that? And she's like, Oh, it's Chris Isaac. And he's like, Oh, okay. And he'd put it in the <laughs> cut because of that. So as, as you know, as meticulous and this idea that we have that like everything Kubrick did was for a reason. It was like, eh, this one was just kind of, he dug the vibes. 
Yeah, no, no, literally, that's I, I, I asked. I keep going back to asking Leon Vitali questions, but I, I asked him a lot. But it was for The Shining because she's at one point Shelley Duvall's watching a movie and she's watching like Summer of '42, and everyone's like, "Oh, like why is she watching this movie? The TV's unplugged, blah blah." blah. And I asked, him, like, "Hey, like why did you why did you guys show that movie?" He goes, "Like, oh, it was in the Warner Bros. catalog. We just needed a movie that we thought she'd be watching." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh, simple enough." <laughs> they use uh they use Paul Mazursky's uh Bloom and Love in this yeah. one. Yeah. and a lot of hockey because Cooper was a big hockey fan so there's mm-hmm. a lot of hockey in the in the which uh from what i read was from his own personal videotapes of hockey games because he taped all the games wow yeah the name of the last name harford for dr bill came from a conversation between kubrick and Raphael when they first began adapting the novel while the main character in the novel is a jewish man from austria Kubrick wanted him to be a vanilla quote unquote American with absolutely no unique or distinguishing characteristics, citing Harrison Ford as an example. So they moved forward with Harrison Ford in mind, even though they didn't want to cast Harrison Ford, yeah. he was a little bit older than they wanted at that point. Um, yeah. They were like, oh, he's Harrison Ford, he's Harrison Ford. So that became Dr. Harford. Yeah. Uh, but Harrison Ford's mom is Jewish, <laughs> which by genealogy would also, you know, yeah. according to the Jewish beliefs would make him Jewish. So <laughs> yeah. they were completely off in that thesis awesome. anyway. <laughs> any, you have any other facts? Yeah, I have two. Well, I have two things. So, well, okay. I, I, this, this is more like probably this is probably going to onset life. But I remember Sidney Pollack talking about when he came in, he was like, he was, yeah, Cooper could gain this reputation for like 90 takes or whatever. Like that was how oh, he did so many takes. He goes, and I come in and like, I do my first scene and like, it's three takes and we're done. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> everyone lied to me. He's like, and then I come in for day two and I do 60 takes of walking to the door. Um, yeah. And he's just like, that's, and that's how it was. Um, the other one I had, well, I, it was a question. I was like, didn't, so didn't Raphael like write a book at one point, like yes. after this? It came of? out like pretty close behind the release of the movie and the, his family, Kubrick's family was not happy yeah, about it. It sounded like he, it's from what I read, like he was trying to save face of like, Oh yeah. Like he kind of ruined my work. Mm-hmm. All right. So this seems like, it seems like it might open up a can of worms, but yeah, do you I have any story one. questions? I got a big one. <laughs> okay. okay. So at the end, at the end, mm-hmm. when he comes to Kidman and it's the mask on the bed and and he goes like, start and Cruz breaks down and it's like, I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to like them the next day. And they never, you never see what he tells her. You never hear what right. he tells her. You just like see her kind of like afterwards, like kind of, it's been a rough night basically is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, what I wonder is like, what does he, what does he tell her? is this just a fan is this whole movie a fantasy that's covered up his infidelities mm-hmm. and is he like because he says like i've never would do that i never would do that like whatever like it's it's like that like, women are tempted by it by me or whatever but like, i would never do that in the beginning of the movie and he and never or like when she talks about like do you ever have feelings when you're examining like naked women at your job he goes oh no never i would never do that mm-hmm. and i wonder if if he has done all that and this fantasy he's had is just is just kind of like the kind of cool little story he's kind of concocted to hide his infidelities he did before does that make sense yeah there's just something about that moment where like because like what he tells her i'll tell you everything he does stuff in this movie but nothing where like 
oh my god this might ruin my marriage does that make sense like he doesn't have sex at the orgy every time he's about to have sex nothing happens like the closest i think he kind of gets is when he's when he's like doing stuff with domino's roommate it's like the mm-hmm. most like kind of like forward he gets and then it and then it ends and that's when it ends with the hiv stuff but i wonder if like like what does he tell her like is this is this are there like infidelities he's covered up and this has like brought it out to him to tell her everything that he's done in the past i don't know that just that real that that question caught me and the and this viewing mm. yeah and then her re- and then her reaction afterwards like it's like they just had a massive fight um and then it's the end of like is this a dream is it not a dream that she kind of says like let's just kind of move on or whatever and have yeah i mean i i, I definitely think you know, if you, if you do take everything that we see as as the events, yeah. you know, as we're being as we're seeing everything, I definitely think the the secret society and the conspiracy. If if what we're actually looking at is like, did he cheat or not? Yeah, all the all his obsession with the secret society and the conspiracy is all him focusing on that to try and cover up the the two yeah. most integral moments of his nights are going to domino's apartment and going back with her roommate those are the two times that he he's really has the intention of cheating on his wife and i think ultimately that's what he's traumatized traumatized by not only that he had that intention or but finding out that if he had followed through with that intention he he could have contracted hiv and and so like all that he's he's focusing on all this like conspiracy and murder stuff to try and get his mind off of that i think those are yeah. the two most pivotal scenes as far as like their relationship goes or his intentions for the night or anything like that yeah that's a that's a that's a very good point that's a very good point um because yeah, that basically would just straight ruin everything because like mm-hmm. the thing is he never says like when he finds that she's hiv positive he never says like oh we didn't have sex so i'm totally good mm-hmm. like it's kind of like a like oh but it kind of like stops because because the thing is he could have easily said oh I'm, we didn't have sex and that could lead to him having sex with her roommate, but none of that happens. It just literally stops. He's like oh there is like repercussions. Yeah, I need this. to go home. Like yeah, that, that's home. his moment yeah. though. It's like I need to go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you have a question? Uh, I think there'd be too many, too many, <laughs> too many questions to 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 dig into. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, going off of that, I, it, I at no moment during the orgy scene does it ever feel like he's about to hop in, you know, no. like, like <laughs> that's a there, there's so many scenes in this movie that are like sexless. Like we said, this is the, the most yeah. unerotic erotic thriller, thriller. Yeah. <laughs> most unerotic and, and not thrilling erotic thriller. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah so, so I, I, I do think that that's interesting. But um, so the only question is, do you do you believe Sidney Pollack? uh no i don't hmm. I, I think i do i think okay. i do i think if, if, if this movie's saying anything it's like how like sex doesn't happen the way it does in erotic thrillers you know and so i i, I think i ultimately come away with it like oh for all the pomp and circumstance and the masks and the robes it's just a bunch of old white guys old rich white guys you know paying prostitutes but trying to make themselves feel yeah that's fancier fair. than, than I, well, just having a well, bunch of prostitutes i also i i i think it's i think it's somewhere in between is, is maybe mm-hmm. my thing it's like i think there's certain something like i think pops like, oh yeah it was all planned it was all this blah, blah blah there was no password like nothing happened to her we didn't do anything to her we didn't do anything to to nick 
I think they beat the shit out of Nick personally. Like I think yeah. I think I think, I think they rough Nick up. A little I think bit. they rough yeah, Nick sure. up. Possibly could have killed him. Um, I don't I don't know if like, oh yeah we just sent him back to Seattle. I'm like no. Nick, it already sounded like Nick like wanted to like was had to stay somewhere else that's not Seattle to make work. And like so I think I think like some of that's untrue. And I I wouldn't be surprised that they killed. I mean I I don't know. I don't think there was like we had this like ritualistic killing of the prostitute because of her like making a sacrifice for Cruz or whatever. I don't know about that, but I do think there is, there is something beneath the surface with that, like, the, like beneath that secret society. I just, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Rich okay. people, rich, rich people do crazy shit is all I'm saying. Yeah, like they and do. I, and I feel like they would probably do some of that stuff. In there. No, I, we, we know for a fact that they do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in in recent years uh <laughs> yeah so moving on to awards this is this is an interesting one for beatrice straight we yeah. got a lot of we got a lot of Locking, character Locking. actors getting little little moments to shine so who's who's the uh actor with limited scenes that that wins the beatrice straight award i almost wonder because you have people who have like one scenes and people who have two scenes and so here's the question where does sydney pollock fall sydney pollock fall in in, in supporting or this i think, I think you've got supporting. three supporting actors in this movie and that's sydney pollock kidman and todd field i agree i agree okay um so let, let's just let's run off the nominees here and let, okay. we'll go with that because there's a lot of nominees i would say uh marie richardson is a nominee as marion mm-hmm. who's who's the the first one i would say vanessa shaw's domino is a nominee um i would say alan cumming as the hotel yes. desk clerk is a nominee i would say uh uh, who Rade uh, or who's the, Mr. Milch? Ray Ray Sherbezio. Ray Sherbezio, thank you. I would say he's a nominee. I would even throw in Leon as a nominee because I think he's a very menacing character for this brief of role as possible, and we never see his face. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just now the entire cast of this movie of, <laughs> for Beatrice Strait. Um, yeah. so let me. Kate Blanchett. Okay. Yeah, you could throw in Kate Blanchett too because of the voice. Um. <laughs> Okay, um, let's try to reason through this. Um, who who does the most here in this movie? You think, <laughs> as as Beatrice Strait, who do you think does the most? Because like every that's that's why I think every scene is like purposeful in this movie. It's like Marie Richardson serves a very significant purpose in this movie because she's the first one that like that kind of comes on to him. Um, for me, for me, it's it's her or Alan Cumming. I think okay. does the most with the limited amount of screen time. Uh, Rachel Baggia gets gets two scenes. Lily yeah. Sobieski gets gets two scenes with him. Um, yeah. Vanessa Shaw. Vanessa gets Shaw's one. Vanessa Shaw's very good, but she, she she gets one. But I think I think it's the two of them for me that that do the most with the most limited amount of time. Yeah, I I would also this. I think uh, Marion's Marie Richardson scene is more important, but I think Alan Cummings is more memorable. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Because I, th- I think Alan Cummings is so kind of left field, like it just kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's the one where they're really kind of tipping. I, I, well, both the, those scenes are kind of tipping the hand of if is it a comedy type thing. Yeah, um, well, and I think they they both also kind of like her scene sets us up for like okay, now we're in this like crazy night dream where everybody wants to have sex with Doctor Bill, yeah. and then alan cummings the first time it's like all right it's the next morning he's woken yeah. up is he back in the real world and then he he walks into this hotel yeah 
and he he's confirms like what happened the night before in a way yeah but he's also like you know he just like immediately starts coming on to him and you're like oh we're still in this like fantasy <laughs> you know yeah like all right it's it's daylight it's the next morning maybe things are going to go back to real life and it's just like he's just like immediately spills his guts to dr bill and you're just like oh no we're we're still we're still in this like weird whatever's going on yeah um yeah tough call i i'm i'm very split on both but i'd probably go alan coming i'll go alan coming as well I, I, all right yeah i think i think for someone who like it's not as integral to the plot i feel like as her as her scene but I, he does the most with what's given so does this make alan coming a beatrice straight and an annie potts holder didn't we give we gave him an annie potts for for josie and the pussycats right we we i believe we did yeah we did yeah, there we go two-time yeah. two-time winner so annie potts x-factor award supporting actor that is the most memorable like i said i think we've got Sidney pollock todd yeah. field nicole kidman that's your supporting cast all serve again very important parts of the story <laughs> For me, it's Kidman. It's I think it's Kidman. Down. I think yeah. it's Kidman okay. too. I, I think. I think. I, yeah. I, it's more just like I want because I think Phil Field kind of puts you in like introduce you into the world that he's going to go into for the for the 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 major or the back half of the film. I guess you could say Pollock is your big kind of like exposition guy who's like no 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 like this is what this this is what really happened. Don't like mm-hmm. this is not a this is not this this is this. But Kidman, in terms of acting. I think has the best scenes in the movie mm-hmm. with Cruz. It's the argument scene. It's the, the scene when she's talking about her vivid dream in a way it's even, it's even the social ball at the beginning, like with when she, mm-hmm. when she's chatting with the Hungarian and then the ending scene. So I, I think Kidman is the, and and just even just the look of like the scene when like Kidman's helping her kid do the homework oh, and yeah. that kind of, that moment that Cruz it's so like, it's so, almost chilling in a way just like it's mm-hmm. just such a such a like it's i don't know if it's meant to be unsettling but it's just it's showcasing the kind of like again behind closed doors it's like what's always kind of like lurking in this movie it feels like so nicole kidman annie potts x factor award winner yeah and then this one's a big uh, this one's interesting gene hackman mvp is it tom cruise or is it stanley <laughs> kubrick kubrick um it's kubrick it's kubrick, <laughs> it's kubrick. Well, tom I, cruise I, Tom Cruise going for. It. I mean, that's the thing. Tom Cruise, no matter what, if you had to say like one thing about Tom Cruise's career, he goes for it. Period. <laughs> whether it's whether it's go diving into a two year contract with Stanley Kubrick, whether it's yeah. strapping himself to the side of a plane while it takes off, like commitment is the is the like and again keyword for Tom Cruise's career. And again, we gotta realize that that what he does right after this is Magnolia. Like mm-hmm. he like we we covered two movies recently of that's Tom Cruise in 1999. Yeah, but I like, mean you, you said it on the on the Magnolia episode, but PTA came to the set yeah, of Eyes Wide Shut, Shut. To, to offer him the part. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like they yeah it's it's um I texted someone because I realized that we we've done a lot of Cruise movies. I've realized like we, and on the Cruise show. has done a lot of movies. <laughs> that's true. But we've done like like we've done this one. We've done Magnolia. We did Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. We did Hunter and I did Collateral. Uh, we, we covered Tony Days Scott, Days of, <laughs> of Thunder, and Top Gun. We also did Color of Money for that sequel. We did Sequel Month. Mm-hmm. Like we've kind of lied, Cruise. But yeah, it, with all those movies, he fully commits to everything he's doing. Yeah. But I think with this one, no matter how great of a performance we think Cruise is, 
you don't have this movie without Kubrick. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's you it you end up getting an Iraq of 1991 or whatever if this is yeah. not Kubrick is the thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know for all the the kind of hate this movie got for being a disappointment of his last work, I I'm glad that the last work we got from him is something that is so rich that you can go yeah. back and just keep pulling apart. Because not yeah. I, I mean I I I like most of his movies. It's very yeah. rare I don't like one of his movies, but like. I don't know. I don't feel like I can come back to Full Metal Jacket as often same. as I can same, come back to this movie. Same like Clockwork Orange. I'm this. I'm like I can't. I can't go back and revisit that over and over again. Yeah. All right, Stanley Kubrick. Look at that MVP yeah. winner. Of course, MVP winner. No, yeah. If we did all of his movies, he'd win every one probably. Like <laughs> I don't. I don't know who would who would be in the running. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers for uh, oh yeah, Strange Love. Strange Love. Yeah. Maybe Jack, maybe Jack of the Shining. I don't know. I like, I like Jack Nicholson, the Shining. Um, all right. That's it on that one. All right. Uh, so final question. Okay. You're remaking Eyes Wide Shut 2022. You won't be done with it until 2024. <laughs> okay. Uh, who do you, who do you cast? Okay. So I, I have, I have a couple versions of this. Okay. I have one non-couple version and then a few couple versions okay which one do you want to hear first it's let's start with the non-couple and then i want to hear the okay non-couple i have ryan gosling and emma stone so i went with like a a on-screen couple like tandem but not an Mm off-screen couple yeah i think emma stone could play kidman's role very well and i think gosling i think blade runner 249 shows that he can he can wander around and be kind of the quiet subdued character isn't that drive isn't that just drive drive too yeah it's drive (laughs) as well but he's also he's also kind of funny like, and I can mm-hmm. also theoretically see every woman falling in love with Ryan Gosling as he's walking around New York mm-hmm. City. I think it's very possible. So that's my non-couple version. My couple versions. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, oh man. That's, talk about some couples therapy. <laughs> I know, right? I know. I know. It, but it, it would, yeah, it would really go with what's happened in the world with them. Yeah. So there's that one. I'm, I'm going to work my way up. That was my kind of bottom one. Uh. Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I definitely watch it. I'm just like picking off like famous acting couples. Um, my last one, Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively. Okay. That, that's not what I was expecting for your last one, but, um, okay. well, well, oh, so you have one. Do you have another couple? I, I have one more. I feel like you have to. Okay. You got it. You got to throw, j-lo and ben affleck out there oh well, now you? yeah you can do now yeah shouts to shout outs to the razzies yeah we've had a, a few ben affleck references here today um that's an interest that's an interesting duo as well i don't know how j-lo would handle that that monologue but give her a shot at it yeah i don't know i i, I would <laughs> i i i i would almost switch the roles in that case and i'd make her tom cruise and make ben affleck oh. and Hulk him in a okay. way like i, I would like Something about that just I could see Jennifer Lopez walking around New York City. I'd be I'd be very curious to see Ryan Reynolds take on this. It's been a long time since we've had kind of gritty, saying, a dr- a gritty, gritty Ryan dramatic Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. yeah. And I, I think ha- Blake, we haven't seen that in a while. And I think Blake Lively is is underrated as an actress. I think mm-hmm. I, I, I I I I mean not it's not the same type of movie. But I love her in The Shallows. <laughs> uh, I I even like Age of Adeline with her in it. The very kind of not discussed that much movie movie that she did a few years ago. Mm-hmm. um but yeah i think 
I, and I think Reynolds, it would just be against type. And, and when you're looking at, say, someone like Cruz, it's like, who's a very big star in the world right now? And what would be kind of against type? Uh, who would be against type in that role? And Ryan Reynolds would probably be it. Um, so who? So who? what's your final pick? What's your uh, All those I gave you. I, I think I'd be most interested in, in I think it, I think the Reynolds is, is a huge gamble because I feel like as much as I enjoy the Reynolds stick, I feel like he's kind of settled into it the last little, like yeah yeah 10 I years agree. i agree and uh you'd really need somebody to shake him out of that for this movie yeah. which he might you know he might be fully capable of doing if it, if it ain't broke why fix it but um but he definitely couldn't it definitely doesn't work with that with the with the ryan reynolds stick but mm-hmm. yeah that'd be interesting my second choice is is, is the swapped ben affleck jayla <laughs> love yeah. to see i'd love to see ben affleck's monologue yeah, and then and then Victor's played by Martin Scorsese is what I'm thinking. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, all right. So does does this fit with any any other genres other than erotic thriller? It does. Okay, and that's the Christmas adjacent genre. Oh, uh, there we go. That's very true. Because it's it's Christmas. I I don't know. I think Christmas is said like a few times. It's like mm-hmm. you have the uh uh the costume rental guy. He he's he says Merry Christmas to to Bill dr bill at one point and then they go christmas shopping at the end for for uh, mm-hmm. uh their, their daughter um yep. but christmas i think someone put out that the christmas lights or christmas tree is like always in the scene everyone has a christmas tree everyone has a christmas tree christmas lights are always on somewhere except when they're at the mansion um for the secret society everywhere else there's christmas lights or something always around uh the film yeah. And it's done very well. So I think I think this kind of and again it's like it's tackling this kind of the norms in some way. Is that like I mean, you're right near Christmas and what is what is Bill doing? He's not off he's not at home with his family. He's off gallivanting New York City. Yeah. Uh yeah, exactly. Uh, like with any of those movies, it's a it's a contrast. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, he's get, gets back from this crazy night. And then his wife's like, oh, we're supposed to wrap Christmas presents tonight. And he's too tired to wrap Christmas presents because yeah. he's been exploring New York. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, this is a weird one. I feel like this movie has 24-hour movie energy. Energy, yeah. But it's a like a like a 48-hour movie. Yeah, I think it's because it, you, it, it's so closely tied to After Hours. Yeah. Is what makes you feel like, oh, it should be a 24-hour movie. Yeah, but it's not. All right, our final question how does this fit into the erotic thriller genre well i think there is eroticism to some extent it's just not what's typical of this genre mm-hmm. i think i i don't know if there's not really it's not really thrilling but there is danger i think in this movie or could be there's the possibility of danger in the secret society sense but then like you said kind of the hiv like std like sense it's a, mm-hmm. it's the it's the kind of the reality of the genre that ne- that's never really discussed it's interesting the way that they you know they mark they there was this backlash to the marketing yeah when the marketing was like oh it's this this big erotic thriller with the with these two stars and then it wasn't because <laughs> that's almost what the movie is doing yeah is is setting up like oh this is this like he's going out to have this like crazy sexy night in new york and then he doesn't yeah so i it's almost as if you know they were following Kubrick's. I don't want to give Warner Brothers too much credit because I think they just knew that people would come see it if they made it seem yeah. sexy. But it's almost as if the marketing was kind of following Kubrick's intention of the movie anyway. 
yeah they captured the essence of the movie of like we're gonna get like a lot of sexy scenes and they're like no we're just gonna get couples arguing after smoking pot <laughs> and then him going off and trying to be a man um well yeah so is that it on eyes wide shut i think i think that's eyes wide shut i, I mean we, we could all ease with all the history of it and the and the at with the 400 shoot stuff, days yeah 400 shoot days with a podcast for every shoot day on eyes wide shut we have a whole <laughs> we have a big show um so next week we're concluding our month of erotic thrillers by talking about the director adrian lynn and adrian lynn directed such movies as flash dance uh indecent proposal uh uh unfaithful and the biggest one of the bunch fatal attraction so stay tuned for that it's gonna be he's kind of the kind of the 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 poster child of the erotic thriller i think Mm -hmm. in a way it's like he he's done so many and done so many with like various stars as well so stay tuned for that um that's what i have for this episode if you're a fan of the show or a new listener make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast so you stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise from whatever platform listen to the show on leave us a comment on whatever (laughs) platform the show is on (laughs) i am a doctor i am a doctor don't worry i'm a doctor (laughs) i i have my license right here uh yeah five stars would be great tell your friends tell your family wherever you're going if you're going to the diner to find a, a piano player that's gone missing go tell them they <laughs> might listen to it put some in the, in the in the diner um but yeah and finally don't forget to like and follow us on facebook twitter instagram tiktok all that jazz as always thomas thank you for joining me thank you for having me and thank you all for listening hope you listen to more episodes soon bye <laughs>